You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace, and we are so delighted that you are here. You are here on a very special day. I have never, in my recollection, started preaching this early. So it could be a really long, long Sunday. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Just kidding. I know at 12 o'clock people are ready to get out, so... uh, And they keep on coming. I need a drummer. A drummer, I can feel it today. He is risen. That's a great word, isn't it? It's how one of the ways that believers identified one another in the early days when there was so much persecution and there was a great cost associated with being a believer. There were different ways of identifying and that was one of them. Now, if I were to ask you, if I were to test your Bible knowledge this morning, I'll start with an easy one. Do you know where the love chapter in the Bible is? 1 Corinthians 13, right? It's so interesting that everyone knows that, but very few people know the context all around it. In chapter 12 and chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is talking to a group of people that were really having trouble getting along, and they were trying to one-up one another with all their spiritual gifts, the things that were going on. And he said, look, none of that really matters. Love one another as Christ loved you. So, what about the psalm that in 173 of its 176 verses talks about Scripture in one form or another? You know that one? Psalm 119, very close to the right smack in the middle of the Bible. How about the faith chapter? Hebrews 11. And now, where we're getting today, the resurrection chapter. 1 Corinthians 15. When people think about 1 Corinthians 15 and the resurrection, they think about verses 50 through 58, but it's really the entire chapter. Um, In the first century, there were were a lot of people in the church who believed that prosperity was a sign of God's blessing. Now look, the prosperity gospel is alive and well today. When my first wife, who died just a little over 10 years ago got sick, you cannot believe some of the things that people said to me about her healing and about why she wasn't being healed. The prosperity gospel is alive today very, very much in people saying, well, if you just do this, this, and this, and everything in your life will go great. Sickness will be healed. Um, You'll never have bills. You'll never be without. In fact, you'll have abundance of blessings on top of you. The the difference in the misguided version of the prosperity gospel today and the absolute heresy of the first century was this. There were people who were saying, we're children of the king, right? We are children of the king, so we should have kingdom blessings thrown upon us. Again, you hear that today. But here's where it goes different. They say, Why are we children of the king? Because we have been resurrected already. That happens at baptism. And if we have been resurrected already, and we're enjoying all the blessings of the kingdom, there is no future resurrection. There will not be a time when our bodies are raised and some go to heaven and some go to hell. That just is not 
going to happen. But the Apostle Paul, in, in this lengthy argument in 1 Corinthians 15, said, look, if you follow that logically to its conclusion, which you must, then you will conclude that if believers are not raised in the future, then Jesus was not raised. And if Jesus was not raised, if he was not resurrected from the dead, then all of this falls apart. No Christianity, there's no faith, no message, none of it makes any sense. How important is what you believe? Now, we've been talking about what a person believes. How important is what you believe in relation to how you live? If we were British, we might have a little pause and then say, quite. How important is the way you live in shaping your beliefs? That's sort of backwards. I, I believe this way, so therefore I live. That's true. But does the way that I live shape my beliefs at all? Possibly much more than you think. Bigly might do for that one. Uh, with that said, what do you know about the church at Corinth? The Apostle Paul was writing to his friends at Corinth, those who had trusted Christ, and he wrote to believers. They had all kinds of problems. There were behavioral problems right and left. They were taking each other to court. They had an immorality that the world didn't even approve of. But somehow they had said in their minds it was okay because Christ died for sin. And, and they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. There, there were issues galore with the Corinthians. Even so, Paul wrote to them as if they were believers. He said, you're, you're children, you're, you're very young in the faith. And you should be much more mature by now. But you need to get a handle on your lives. And it starts with getting a handle on what you believe. What you know to be true from God. In just a moment, I will ask you as we always do on Sunday morning. Well, almost always. Not every time. But almost always we stand for the reading of Scripture. The official text today is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 50 to 58. Where the future for followers of Christ is described with great joy. That's why today is such a joyful day. Christmas has a different feel. But Easter, there's just nothing quite like Easter for believers. Probably the most joyful day of the year. It happens every Sunday at some level. But on this day when we remember Jesus being raised from the dead. And all of those, all of the implications that are ours because of that. Or that happen to us because of that is is a cause for joy. So would you please stand for this encouraging word from uh, Scripture, the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. I tell you this, brothers. <clears throat> flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. As you know, that's the official verse for all nursery workers everywhere. <laughs> in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable 
and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the, when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful just for the very existence of your word. We are not left in this life not knowing how we should live. You have told us very clearly. Um, Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you even when the word tells us what we don't want to hear. We're glad that you don't allow us to live any way we want to. And so, Father, as we contemplate these extremely encouraging words and yet at the same time very convicting words from 1 Corinthians 15, I pray that our hearts would be open and that we would receive from your hand what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you and be seated. It is amazing how relevant scripture is, is it not? New Testament was written 2,000 years ago, and honestly, it deals with the same types of issues that we are, we are facing today. Even if, if the issues are not the exact same, the principles are so close. And even if there's a slight difference in the way we, we stray from theology, maybe in the first century they, they strayed this way from, from uh, orthodox theology, and maybe in our day we stray a little bit this way. Still, the more things change, the more they stay the same. There are five things that Paul communicated in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 that, that, that speak directly to us today. There, there are more than five, obviously, a lot more. But there are five that, that we're going to zero in on this morning, beginning with this. Believing and living the gospel is a lifelong pursuit. Now, if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? Well, I've been reading... Uh, Allison and I, uh, this past um, this past spring or winter, went, went with some friends of ours to the Mark Mark Cohen. Actually, he wasn't. I can't even remember who the who the main singer was. But I was excited to hear Mark Cohen. He's the one walking in Memphis. Or walking. You remember that song, "Walking in Memphis." And he goes to to Memphis. He was introduced and telling us how that song came about. He said, "I'm Jewish, but I went and." Al Green was preaching, and this lady named Muriel was playing the piano. And somehow she got me up there, and I was singing with her, uh, Sweet Hour of Prayer, Amazing Grace, you know, all the Jewish hits. That was pretty funny. <laughs> and, um, and then he sang that song, Walking in Memphis, and she asked the question, Son, are you a Christian? And he said, Ma'am, I am tonight, walking in Memphis. Well, no, that's just, this is not the place. I'm very sorry about it. Uh, on several levels, I'm sorry. And if I were to ask you, are you a Christian? 
you might say, sir, I am today. It's Easter, right? Why would you, if I followed up, why would you say, yes, I'm a Christian? Here is my confidence. This is the basis for my confidence. Maybe you'd point to a time when you were baptized as an infant or as a child, as a young child. Uh, perhaps you would talk about the ways that you support your church or your, your community and, and talk about the time and the money that you give to one or, or both of those. You might say, I accepted Jesus as, into my heart when I was eight years old. Um, or, I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Now, if you, if you gave one of these last answers, you're, you're almost certainly rightly distinguishing be, between good works and faith. The problem with good works is that our good works will never be good enough for us to stand before the Lord as one who is worthy to enter into eternity. What we just read about in 1 Corinthians 15 is that these bodies can't even go in like they are. We have to have new bodies given to us so that we are worthy to enter. Look, these bodies wear out, right? <laughs> yes, say the old people. Yeah. And the not so old people, but the people who are struggling with some issue or another. These bodies wear out. The older you get, the, the more you're aware of the limitations. We can't go into heaven like this. We have to have new bodies. So, so we don't get there on the basis of good works. We can never be good enough. If that were the case, our bodies would be getting better and better, right? And we would just step into eternity. From Genesis to Revelation, we are made aware that we can never be good enough to save ourselves. In, in, in most people's thinking, especially in our country, probably in a lot of places, no matter what people think about God, about the one who created them and the one to whom they must give account someday, most people think, you know, I'm born okay, and as long as I don't mess it up, I'll be okay. That's kind of the default position. But scripture says the exact opposite. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're going through Isaiah, the book of Isaiah on most Sundays. And, and we see good news and bad news side by side. And here it is in Isaiah 53. We have gone astray, <coughs> but the Lord has put our sin upon Jesus. He took it upon himself so that we might be saved. That's the gospel. Well, Jesus isn't mentioned in Isaiah, but if you'll come on Sunday morning, you'll see why we understand the prophet to be talking about Jesus in Isaiah 53, 6. The gospel. Gospel. That word comes from the Greek word euangelion. And it means good news. What is the gospel? What is the good news? Well, the Apostle Paul is glad you asked. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5. Right at the very beginning of the chapter. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain. The big issue here was the resurrection. He was getting to it. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, that's who Cephas was, and then to the twelve. So um, Paul goes on to say that Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time who were still mostly alive today. Paul wrote this letter about 20 years after Jesus had been crucified and was raised from the dead. And so he's like, look, most of these people are alive. You want to you wanna talk with them? Help yourself. One or two maybe. <clears throat> uh, uh, brother, were you having a little to drink that night? You know, How much did you have to drink that? 500 people saw him alive at once. And Paul said most of them are alive today. Here's the thing about Christianity. It's rooted in life. It's rooted in history. It's rooted in this earth, these bodies. In the first century, there, there were a lot of people trying to separate the material and the spiritual. What's inside is more important, and this doesn't matter much. And God said, no, no, this is good. All of this is good. It got messed up at the fall, but there's coming a day when it's all going to be corrected. Jesus' resurrection is a big deal. It's part of the gospel. Paul said in so many words that if you believe the gospel, you will be saved. <clears throat> well, actually, what Paul said was, you are being saved if you hold fast to the word he had preached, that I preached to you, which was the gospel. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that once a person has repented of sins and believed that Jesus died on her behalf, that she will be saved no matter what happens in the future? <clears throat> I do too. I, I believe that. And yet, here is Paul saying the gospel is currently saving you if you hold fast to what has been preached to you. If you believe, continue to believe and live as though this is true. If you do not hold true, then perhaps you have believed in vain. I think what the Apostle Paul was saying was that if you ask him, he wouldn't want to stand before the Lord <clears throat> and say, God, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? The old EE -E question, which is a really a good one. Why should I allow you to come into heaven? He wouldn't want to be there saying, well, Lord, you remember, don't you? I accepted Jesus into my heart as my Lord and Savior when I was eight years old. I was baptized, became a member of the church. I did some youth group stuff. But you know what it's like in college. <laughs> you understand that, don't you? And then, look, I just have so many problems with organized religion. There's so, many, so much pain that the church causes people. So, But I prayed, you remember? This is assuming, of course, that one day each of us will stand before a holy God who has established requirements for our entry into eternal life. I'm not sure I want to stand before the Lord on that day with such an explanation for why the gospel never really took root in my heart. Believing, at the gospel, believing the gospel at a level that it affects every area of your life is just assumed in Scripture. It's the great exception 
in Scripture that one believes and then just lives any way he wants to. That's the exception. It does happen. But even the Corinthians, with all of their mess, one of their big problems was they were just trying to make the church as much like the world as they could. But they were all about church. They were all about spiritual things. They just got, it, it was distorted. But to accept Christ when you're young and walk away and never come back, the scripture doesn't indicate that this is a follower of Christ. I'll continue to develop this thought as we go because it's where the text goes. Second, Second thing, if death is the end of our existence, then we're wasting our time in church. I'm going to guess that you are here this morning because you do not believe that death is the end of our existence. There is some notion that one day there's more to life than just what we can touch and feel, which is a good thing since all of us know we don't really think it's going to happen. And it won't, most likely. But all of us know we may not make it to the restaurant today. It could be an accident. Life can end very quickly. And so most of us realize that there's something beyond this world. In Paul's day, it's not that the Corinthians believed that there was no afterlife. But they envisioned some sort of a of an eternal disembodied state where all the knowledge that was denied us on this corrupt and, and, and frail and dying and good-for-nothing earth, all of that knowledge that was denied to us will somehow be ours at that time. And we will float and contemplate the Lord. Um, Knowledge was supreme for the Greeks, and that's why the language gets a little bit tricky in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. The, the old man was sown a, a physical body. The new man is spiritual. Paul wasn't saying this, this. He's arguing against that the whole time. It's just the language, especially in the Greek day, that day of the Greeks, they were so much about material versus spirit, and spirit is, is much better the material, what Paul was saying was, this body won't do. We're going to have to have a new body when we get into heaven. I think we're going to look very much like we do now. I don't know. Hopefully the weight will be down, you know, and the glasses will be gone, stuff like that. But, but we'll probably be able to recognize one another. There's every indication that that is the case. But the, but the Corinthians thought, you know, somehow a lot of the stuff that we see... You know, about spirits and ghosts kind of floating. That's a Greek thought. I don't know where playing harps on a cloud comes from for sure. I'm, I'm sure if I thought hard enough, I could get it. I'm not sure what the Corinthians thought about eternal punishment for those who do not believe the gospel. But their behavior addressed all the way through 1 Corinthians indicated that they weren't too concerned about punishment. Or as Allison, my Australian wife, would say, they weren't too fussed about it. If you were not concerned about hell, if you, didn't, if, you, if you didn't believe that there's a hell, would you really make the sacrifices required for following Jesus? I mean, after all, we as believers, we're called to take up our crosses daily. And you think about the cross, you see jewelry all the time, you see cross as a symbol 
I can't tell you how often I see a cross as a tattoo or, a, or, or, or as a, a part of jewelry, as part of the outfit where a person is just screaming at somebody. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish you didn't have the cross. Because the cross says we die to ourselves. We take a lot of junk that comes at us. The, the, the things that people say, we just let it, we love them in Christ anyway. We're to take up our, our crosses. David, would you pursue humility when you want all the world to know about your accomplishments and about your big heart? Do you catch yourself saying, oh, I hope he notices, I hope she notices? All the time, probably. Would you say, this is what I believe in an increasingly uh, agitated culture and, and society that thinks of Christianity as subversive because you think that Jesus is the only way and that you're better than everybody. Would you really say, this is what I believe? In the first century, people were going to be called to die for their faith, but the, but the Corinthians... Man, they weren't thinking about martyrdom, much less eternal consequences for their sin. Jesus had repeatedly preached, and they had heard, the Corinthians had heard, that Jesus preached about the consequence of eternal suffering in hell for those who refuse to believe. But if you don't really believe, what's the big deal? If you don't believe, there are consequences for not believing. Wouldn't you get more followers if you just took hell out of the equation? That's what John Lennon wanted to do. Imagine there's no heaven, no hell below. The other night, um, our home group, there were several of us in the home group that got saved when we were a little bit older in life. I was 18. I was the young one of that bunch that got saved at that age. Um, and... People said, you know, I stopped doing things. Nobody had to tell me. One of the very first things I did was to uh, throw uh, the John Lennon album away. And Jethro Tull, thick as a brick, fools worship their God in the sky. I just threw them away because I knew. I was just like, I don't believe that. I can't. This is the exact opposite of what? No hell. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Well, apparently the Pope wants in on the action. At least the hell part. Pope Francis, when asked about what happens to bad souls, in an interview published this week, March 28th, 2018, in the Italian newspaper La Repubblica, I wanted to call Joe, I should have called Joe and said, how do you say this, Joe, for sure, uh, in Italy. But he spoke about the afterlife. Here's what he said, quote, The lost are not punished. Those who repent obtain the forgiveness of God and enter the rank of souls who contemplate him. But those who do not repent and cannot therefore be forgiven disappear. There is no hell. There is the disappearance of sinful souls. Let's just say this is not a happy Easter at the Vatican. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of uh, people who are upset and the first thing they do is issue a terse uh, statement saying this is not what the Pope said the man who did this interview did not take notes and that is possible 
but I'm guessing it was in this direction. I'm really under, I just don't know if this Pope is going to survive some of the things that he wants to rewrite from Scripture. Surely there are a lot of people in our day who say the notion of hell is an ancient notion. It is not for modern minds or thoughts. Is it the fear of God or is it the beauty of Jesus that attracts most people to the Lord? Well, for those who truly come to the Lord, I think it's both. At my age, at the age that I am right now, what the Pope believes would probably be enough for me to say, you know what, I want to contemplate God for eternity. It's almost this Greek kind of thought. I didn't make that connection until just now, but it's, you know, these disembodied souls that are just kind of out there gaining knowledge. Pope, I'm sure, would believe that there's a body, but it's funny how all of these ideas kind of mold. Contemplate God. That would be enough for me. When I was a younger man, if you had said there's no hell, I don't know. I may have just walked away and been quite happy to do so and say, you know what? I'm going to live this life to the full. But as God reminds us over and over, anything can change in an instant, in a moment. And it's one of the beauties and blessings of walking with the Lord all the days of your life. I may have concluded when I was younger, if death is the end of our existence, then I'm wasting my time in church. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I think this is what he was talking about. On the other hand, if death is not the end of our existence, there is nothing more important than our pursuit of the gospel in church. When God created the world, day after creative day, he concluded that his creation was good. On the day he created human beings, God declared that his creation was very good. Look, everything in the world, all, all nature, all humanity, took a big hit on the day that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Adam, as the federal head of the human race or the representative of all the human race, just like one person in your family represents the entire family when you're on Family Feud or one of those crazy shows, you know. You, there's somebody representing, it's kind of like, here's the, this is our spokesperson. Adam was the head of all the entire human race and he was assigned the blame for all men and women who would ever exist to be born in a lost condition. He's responsible for that. We were all born lost because Adam blew it. And look, don't spend your time being upset with Adam. If he hadn't, if he hadn't blown it, Jim McClellan, I mean, I would have, I would have uh, blown it, you know. I, I would have, surely. I'm not upset with Adam, but I am a child of Adam. Every day, not every day, but many days I look in the mirror and I say, Billy Tally in the flesh. You know, my dad, I say, there I am. There he is right there. Every day we look in the mirror, we say, Adam, Eve. 
we wander away from God from birth, just like Isaiah 53, 6 states. And most of us muddle through this broken world, and even if we find ourselves at the top of the heap, we know that it won't be last, and that it won't last. Jobs will be broken and lost. I mean, jobs will be lost, relationships will be challenged or irrevocably broken. Accidents or cancer will take loved ones from us, and people will betray us. Betray. Not just upset you, not quit liking you. People will betray you. And somewhere along the way, somebody, maybe more than a few somebodies, will think that you have betrayed them, and you very well may have. The human condition in the raw is not very good. We've got nice clothes, perfume, we got all kinds of things to, to dress it up, make it look good. <clears throat> but at its core, not very good. And on top of all of that, <clears throat> there is the spectacular damage that we do to ourselves because of our own sin. The good news of 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus came to earth as the second Adam to put right what went wrong. Adam messed up. Let's have a second Adam. This one is God and man. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus lived the life that Adam was supposed to live. His sacrificial death paid for sin and now all who believe in Jesus will one day live eternally with new bodies that are no longer broken, but that are designed for eternity. I can only imagine does not come close to anticipating how complete our transformation will be when we receive our resurrected bodies and resurrected minds and understanding. Jesus repeatedly said that those who believe in the Son of God will live in this life as though they believe, and they will continue to live with Him throughout eternity with a glorified body. Make sure you understand this. If you truly believe, if you repent and believe, and I know we could get into... I, it could be very easy to create doubt and confusion in your mind. That's not what I'm trying to do. If we believe that Jesus died for us, and we've given our whole lives to him, we belong to him. Are we going to mess up? Absolutely we're going to mess up. Are we going to do things that we've done a thousand times before and just beg God to help us not do anymore, but we do them anyway? Yeah, we're going to do those things. We're going to sin. We're going to blow it every single day. And it's dangerous to think that you won't do it every single day. But when you believe in Jesus, it changes your life. You get weary, you get tired, but you want to be close to him. Those who reject the Son of God, on the other hand, according to Christ, more than any other writer according, in the New Testament, according to Christ, will be eternally tormented and punished for their rejection of you don't have to believe in heaven and hell, but please at least be honest to acknowledge this is what Jesus said. You can, you can reject it, but say, okay, I, I acknowledge. That's what you said. I just don't believe it. 
At least be that honest. Don't try to make Jesus having to, to have said something that he didn't say. I'm stunned when people talk about, uh, well, you know, the Old Testament God was, he was something, but Jesus was love. He was love. That's why he went to the cross. But if you think that Jesus has nothing but love and acceptance for everybody, not so. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do? What do I need to do to be saved? Jesus said, you got to, ultimately, he said, sell everything you have, follow me. And the rich young ruler walked away. That's not a good witnessing technique. I'm not encouraging you to say that. Um, but the point was, Jesus identified the one thing that kept him from following Christ. And he said, I can't do it. And he walked away and it says Jesus loved him. He loved him as he was. But he didn't accept him in that condition. He said, this is the requirement. You have to, give, you have to be willing to follow me, whatever that means. Are you willing? If, if what Jesus said in the Gospels is true, then death is not the end of our existence. And everything, everything about eternity is riding on what we believe and do in this life. And if that's the case, nothing is more important than a lifelong pursuit of the Gospel. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderate. Surely this is what you would conclude from a careful reading of Scripture. I would say it is equally true and supported in Scripture that it's, you cannot be seriously committed, a seriously committed Christian without a firm commitment to the church. I'm not saying this church, but to a local church. I know that many of you disagree but when you read and consider the implications of Jesus' teaching, particularly on church discipline, then you can make a good case for what I'm about to say. But let me just say, this is not, what I'm not saying is not about church discipline. It's about this idea that I can get along just fine without the church. But when you look at this particular thing, you're thinking, hmm, maybe that's not the case. A good case, in fact, from Matthew 18 could be made for this, that those who are outside of Christ or outside of the church, or outside of Christ. In fact, when Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together, I will be in their midst. He was saying that when the church gathered, brings church discipline on someone, and essentially says, we do not consider you to be a believer, then heaven's stamp of approval will be on that decision. Now, that's a very harsh and a difficult thing to say. And I would have never in my life anticipated it saying it on Easter Sunday of all Sundays. But here's the point. One thing you can say for certain that Jesus was not saying in Matthew 18, 20, when two or three are gathered together, I'm there in the midst. It's like, hey, let's play golf this week. Look, Jesus will be in our midst. We'll say a prayer before we tee off. Let's go to the lake. Now look, you're going to miss church. We all miss church for, for some reason. If you're on vacation, maybe you go to church, maybe you don't. I'm not making a judgment about that. But if you're not part of the church, then the New Testament indicates what's your relation with, relationship with Christ really like? 
So get in a church. If it's not this one, that's fine. Go to a place where they really believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And again, this is not about church discipline. Most of the people outside of the church don't need help from anybody else. You know, what, what I'm saying is you need to be in a local church where you will find strength and comfort in the preaching of the resurrection as the next point affirms. Death is a formidable enemy, but it has been defeated through Jesus' resurrection. We, we really don't want to die, do we? It's been true throughout all history, but in our day, when we are certain that death can be conquered in one way or another, we really don't want to die. Whenever we are faced with a choice, we almost always choose life. When Linda got sick with a brain tumor, the doctor said two to three months without treatment, maybe a couple more with treatment. She lived for 13 months. But you know what my thought was? Just if we can just hang on until they come up with the cure. I didn't know much before about glioblastomas that I knew later. But that tends to be our thinking. Even Christians do not often go gentle into that good night. Not only do we not want to die, we do everything we can to insulate ourselves from death. I'm so grateful for hospice where people are beginning to once again see their loved ones do what all of us will do and that is to die why do we fight so hard when we believe the truth of the resurrection for starters as members of adam's race we were not created to die adam was created to live forever and we're part of his race Death came as a result of sin. Death is a brutal enemy. And it's no wonder that we fight against it. How beautiful though and how encouraging is our text. 1 Corinthians 15.54 When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written Death is swallowed up in victory. Isaiah 25, by the way. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is good news. Time and again, death swoops in to deliver a sting just like a bee. And for believers... Just before he's about to make his delivery, the sting is removed. And we're in the presence of Jesus. The power of sin, which was revealed and condemned by God's law. Nothing wrong with the law. It was perfect, but it didn't have any power to save us. Only Jesus can save us. The, 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 law, the law provoked us to sin by saying, you cannot do this. Just like when you tell a child... You can go anywhere in this house except don't go in that room. Where's the first place? You know, you know what it's like, don't you? <laughs> Trying to get in. That's what he's talking about. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin 
is the law. It'll all be done. No wonder Paul said in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And knowledge, speaking of knowledge, knowledge of our future should impact our present lives, which brings us to our last point. And wouldn't you know that we're right back where we started? Believing and living the gospel is a lifelong pursuit. I do hope if someone invited you to church. Look, I know a lot of you are here. You're visiting. You're with family. You're in church somewhere else. And, and, and some of you, though, you, you're, someone visited. I do hope you won't be upset with them. Please be upset with me instead of your friend. Well, you brought me there to fear that, you know, for them to blast me. I'm, honestly, honestly. As much as I can say this, I'm, 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 I'm saying it in love. And you may choose to not agree with what I've said. Um, I, I would point you to the word. I think scripture, again, a careful reading of scripture would indicate that those who follow Christ will give evidence of their relationship with Christ. And a lot of that happens here in church. In a day when knowing how to live and what to believe is increasingly complex, consistent truth is God's gift to his children, even when it makes us uncomfortable. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Hang in there. Followers of Christ, do not grow weary. Do not walk away from Jesus in the face of disappointment or failure or loss. In your identity with the, with the crucified and resurrected Christ, live with resurrection focus and power, always abounding in the work of the Lord. One day you will see just how meaningful it was to trust your creator and redeemer, even though the world thinks you were a little bit crazy and a whole lot out of touch. It is a life of faith that will one day be as real to you as this life is. But it will be far greater if you belong to Jesus. You'll have a body that is perfect and your mind will be perfect. You will be perfect in every way. He is risen. He is risen indeed. So shall you rise one day. Let's pray. Well, Father... I acknowledge as I say these very direct words that come from Scripture, I'm far from being an Apostle Paul who originally wrote them. But indeed, ultimately, it was the Holy Spirit, not even ultimately, just the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture. And so today, take these words and burn them into all of our hearts and, and burn them in a good way, Lord. I pray that that those who 
are discouraged and down will feel the warm comfort that is ours in the truth of the resurrection of Christ and in our future resurrection. I pray those, Lord, who have uh, not known Christ will be attracted to the beauty and the passion and the fire of Jesus who died in their place. And Lord, for those of us who struggle at times to walk with the full commitment to which you've called us, we're grateful for the Christ who immediately, the Father who immediately forgives us on the basis of, of Jesus' death when we confess our sins. Draw us to yourself and to one another. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in our place and for rising from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Come, Lord Jesus, and until he does, go in the joy of our risen Savior and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded. And behold, Jesus is with you always to the end of the age. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org. Dot org.